another stocking stuffer, a surprise stocking stuffer. I know I call every one of these a very special episode, but this one is like special with a capital S and a capital L and whatever other letters you decide are important to capitalize, because today is something totally different. Uh, we are joined once again by dear friend of the pod, Fozzie Bear, which is nothing exciting because hey he's been here before. Yeah, you're not the exciting part here. We're no, going to skirt know. over you. But what <laughs> I have today for everybody, we have an interview with the man behind and in front of Netflix's 2020 new release, A New York Christmas Wedding. You heard us talk about it. Uh, we have the writer, director, producer, actor, Atoje Abbott. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Even after our review, we decided to come on and talk to us. Yes, I, I really felt when I, I, whenever there is talk about a New York Christmas wedding on social media, podcasts, or whatever, it's a bad signal for me. So I just <laughs> appear out of nowhere, see what people are saying because it's 2020, you don't have theaters, so you just have social media. And I would say the conversation you both had, I really felt I wanted to be a part of it good, bad, or just honest truth, and then I'm happy that we could continue that conversation now. Yeah, you sought us out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, because it's, again, it's it's one thing when people criticize a film and say, this film is this film is that, and then they've never written a film before, or they only, they half watch it, as mm. they do with most Christmas films. Yes. But then, and then they say, why am I confused? Why am I lost? I'm like, because you're not paying attention. Yes. But it seemed from the conversation, you both paid very much attention, great detail, and it's a good, it's just wanted something to have an opportunity to just talk about the good, the bad, and not the ugly, because everyone was beautiful in it, so which is fine. <laughs> oh, yes. Another word. <laughs> no, we, I mean, we had such a good time talking about it, and I think it's something that's always scary to me when, whenever I watch something that is somebody I know's work because I never want to yeah. talk to them about it because oh geez how can I be how can I be honest I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings so instead I'd rather just separate it out and in this case I think really uh with Jason and I's conversation we we liked it we enjoyed it we had we had a lot to say and we certainly had a good time with it which is you know I watch so many of these movies that there is a certain level that I'm always obviously looking for, you know, these kind of, you know, the the, the same cliches that are going to come up. And with yours, some of those were there, certainly. And there were certain things that we could say, well, this is, you know, certainly a low budget. But there was also so many things about it that we said at the end of it, like, this is a recommend. This is something I want to see this person do more stuff. Mm-hmm. And in a sea of these Christmas movies... I still think, and I this is one of my biggest questions for you, is it felt to me um, as if I was getting a uh, you were deliberately making a movie that would that somebody scanning Netflix would say, "Oh, here's another Christmas movie. Let me turn it on in the background." 
but then would actually get something that has stuff to say, that has stuff to say about, you know, about queerness, about religion, accepting that, about romance, all of these things. So did you set out? (laughs) Obviously. Yeah. Was that part of your goal or was it, you know, did this accidentally become a Christmas movie? Kind of where did it all start with that? Yeah, it, it all it all started with uh, I did a short film three years ago, my first film ever. So the short film Jitter is my first film, and this a New York Christmas wedding is my second film ever. So I only did two films in my life as a writer director. So with Jitters, people liked it for the universal to- universal themes and the tones, and I explored the idea of two men getting married and what is it what is it like to have a t- what is it like to have two men exploring marriage in a church setting mm. and uh people loved it went to awards we went to a film festival won awards actually the co-star in that film was walker Hare, so another walker hey. here exciting <laughs> 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 um but after that uh a year later a production company conglomerate media saw the film and one of the producers Corey apton who i already knew she said there's no John. There's no. There's a limit of films for LGBTQ plus Christmas films. Mm-hmm. If you could turn what you did with Jitters into a Christmas film, we could possibly pre-sell that, and we would like to make it. Brilliant. So I thought great. Yeah, I thought great. Yeah. I mean, you know, you say yes. They said this is our budget. It's not a lot. Can you do it? And I said yes, of course, because any first-time filmmaker you say yes to everything. <laughs> Always say yes, of course. You know, how many times do you have someone to say we want to invest in your first film? Mm-hmm. So they said we wanted four things. We wanted New York City, a same-sex wedding in a church. A New York City, a same-sex wedding has to be in a church and also um, Christmas time. And mm-hmm. I try to expand Jitters, this short film, about 13 minutes into this feature film length. And it didn't work because short film narratives are better contained. Sure. Mm-hmm. They're better. You can't add characters doing random things. And especially for my first film, even though this could have been, it's your first film, so don't take it as seriously as some people might do, because you have your film schools to kind of mess up there. But I truly feel as a black filmmaker, you don't really have chances or opportunities to mess up on your first one. You right, know, right. and I, I feel I feel as if, I, if I'm going to do something to come out right at the bat, right, right after Jitters, it has to be something that will be interesting enough. So I thought about what made Jitters so interesting, and it was basically the idea a lot of people said they haven't seen a same-sex marriage ever normalized. You haven't mm-hmm. seen... that it, it was more about the relationship than it was about being queer. So I thought, let me explore that. And then with the idea of a near Christmas wedding, it's the idea of having... If I can't be in this, it'll be, it'll be a challenge to write a female character, but with my same type of um, thoughts for the lead of Jitters, but as a female. So I explored that. Mm. And then when I realized with writing this film, a lot of people felt where... Because they couldn't see... A wedding in the church i wanted to explore that but then now you're talking about it in 2019 at the time how do i make this and i i'm an ally i'm not a queer person but how do i make a film about queer people from a, from an ally's point of view and mm-hmm. make a feature film length? so how do i do that and i thought let me explore the reason why there hasn't been a film like this today and that my whole thing was because it's impossible because of the church so when I started yeah. exploring that, it became more of a bigger thing. And I started realizing how I did my research. A lot of people felt welcome in the church, but not equal. And some people even stepped away from the church because of the fact that they grew up in religion. They grew up as a believer of faith, but then they had to step away because of who they loved. And I thought, mm-hmm. that's fascinating that 
you belong to a place, you are baptized in a place, you're communed yeah. in a place, and because you love someone of the same sex, you still don't feel at home at this place you call the home for the past 30 plus years of your life. And then you step away from that and then you have to find your new journey. So I explored yeah. that. And I think from there, also because when we went to film festival with this film, this film was released in August. It was more about how I presented it in a marketing way and Netflix has their own de- idea. Because sure. They say romantic comedy. I don't think this is that because yeah, I mean, it, there's certainly comedy in it, course, and there's romance course, in it, but, course, but yeah, it's very fun. much well. And that's what I was wondering: was it feels like this great Trojan horse of a Christmas yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the I, I, the uh, the producers conglomerate. We had a big because my 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 original poster during the festival is a picture of Jennifer. She's hunched over reading a letter. She's a little bit very not cry, but before crying and. A lot of people thought that that was too moody for a Christmas film. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the film. You know? I, uh, I'm that independent guy. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we can't make we can't make this type of jolly Christmas film. I tried to make, I wanted to make that, but that's not really me. I mean, I watch these films like, um, you know, the Candace Cameron film. Paul sure. Film, we love them. But those are films you put on the background. I wanted to make a film that people are paying attention to rather than say, I know what's going to happen next. And what's good about Jitters with a twist ending I wanted to kind of explore that more in the feature film length where every other 20, every 20 minutes you're getting something that you didn't know was going to happen. So definitely I do feel that with a New York Christmas wedding, I thought the title at first should have been Asriel's Gift and I, I was fighting the producer about mm. that because I felt like Asriel's Gift, the idea that this angel of death, Asriel, angel of death, he's giving up his life for his mother's love very very deep very very sure. artistic and then the production company's like oh no we're gonna go with the near christmas wedding because people know how to people know what they're gonna get and that was that yeah well and it's funny because well, i mean they do get those things yeah but and you probably did and it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because i'm sure you got more people watch this movie because it was called that yeah. and because even the cover art if you're looking at the cover art i think i'm getting you know a cozy cardigan christmas movie <laughs> But then the, the reverse of that is, I'm sure, and this, you know, it, it's a great thing because you, you probably got people to watch a story about queer romance for people that would never have watched it. Yeah, um, yeah. And has there been, I mean, have you seen a lot of, aside from, you know, I hope you've seen a lot of positivity from it, but what has been the reaction in general? Have you seen like the, you know, the million, I thought I was getting a romance and what did I get? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw, I, to be honest, I think, the reaction is about it's about seventy percent people love it, ten percent people are like I guess, and twenty percent <laughs> people are like How dare they do this to me? I yeah. was expecting a film where I would never see two women kiss. I'm like, I'm like it's bizarre. It's it, it, the, more, the more people dislike this film, the more they show who they are as oh, people, totally. you yeah. know. And and it's very very it's hard to say that because it's really the truth of reality. So, so you know, some people feel as if to your point. This film is so low budget. How could Netflix need to Netflix need to lower their subscription price? Because why am I paying for this? <laughs> but you know, thinking that our film is three million dollars, but you know, it's not the case. So I I, I I got a lot of nice messages from people who reached out and said, I never felt more seen. Mm-hmm. It feels good to kind of finally see a film that I can watch with my family and my family can talk about what it's like for this type of character, what they grew up, they felt more personal, more deep for them. And that's where I come from as like an independent artist. Mm-hmm. I write about things like that. But I also know with the Christmas genre, which I also want to give a lot of credit to the film festivals. A lot of film festivals said no because 
a Christmas genre film, but not a, not a film festival sure. type of thing. You know, it's not an independent thing. Yeah, you probably but, needed a different poster for yeah. the festivals <laughs> than you did for Netflix. Yeah. And probably a different title. Oh, yeah, we, we <laughs> yeah. hope so. But then, but then you also have some festivals that said, no, but we haven't seen anything like this before, so we're going to support this. And I think that's what, as an independent filmmaker, we could keep on creating the same stories over and over and over again, but the more something is original and the more you, you show something that hasn't been seen, like our film in 2020 is the first film with a diverse lead character who's marrying a woman. Yeah. Ever. You beat uh, Hulu in Happiest Season. Yeah, right? You guys came out first. And yeah. it was, I kept saying it all last year when everything happened with the Hallmark Channel. Um, when the, I think it was, what was it, Zola, the wedding commercial that featured a same-sex wedding, and Hallmark wouldn't air it, and then there was all this hubbub, and of course, other networks were like, we'll air the commercial, and I couldn't believe it, because I'm like, or you'll make a Christmas movie with lesbians, and none of them did, they all did this year, um, I mean, even Hallmark did, but again, it's not the lead character, it's secondary characters, Lifetime had, I think, one, um, same sex where that was the the main romance oh, yeah the, the christmas setup with friend dresser yes yeah. yes but you beat them all you you did yeah. come out first and that made you're me so excited <laughs> and you're yeah. the first you're the first christmas movie to ever murder a dog on screen too yeah. yes oh, let's talk about but, that dog let's yes, talk about yes, this mm-hmm. yes okay <laughs> yeah so i will what say this too okay that? okay so first of all Everyone out there, and also including you, Jason, that dog obviously did not die in real life. So if the dog moved, can, can, we, can we kind of bless you? If the dog moved, that's what happened because you can't murder a dog on screen. And, you know, some people are like, that dog moved. How dare they? But, you know, whatever. But to be honest, the dog did not move. And you can go back and watch the film. What happens is that Jennifer walks by, and we did this in editing. She walks by the dog. And when she walks by, the breeze of the dog moves. breeze of the dog flickers the dog's dog's like hair that's what happens okay, okay. The dog for sure really it's on move. a death nail though because i know there's that no. whole thing that happens after no 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 so it, it was it was actually very touching because that office is my vet's office see um oh. uh city vet and the dog griffith kaplan he died a couple months after the after oh. we filmed this and that was, that was our vet's dog oh and which city vet City vet on seventy second and uh, and uh, Amsterdam between okay. a- between between Amsterdam and uh, West End. Okay, because yeah. I know there are a few in the city. I used to go to yeah. City as well uptown. Yeah, so that's so so Smudge. That's my dog in the film. Smudge. Oh. And, that was my next question. Was you had yeah, two so, dog actors? Yeah. So Smudge, that's Smudge goes to City vet. That the Kaplan is Smudge's doc, the doctor. That the Kaplan knew as a filmmaker actor, and I said, hey, I'm doing this independent film. I would love if I could use your office, hopefully. And he said, yes. And I said, we're looking for a dog. He said, you could use Griff. And I said, you know, and I emailed him the scene. I'm like, listen, um, you know, cause his dog's already old enough. And I said, it's going to be a very, very important scene. This is what's happening. You know, he gave me some information about research, the proper things to say. And he said, you know, it will be an honor if you could use Griff. And I thought that was remarkable because it proves, and I know film lives on forever, but it proves to the fact of, what goes into kind of even getting something in there to make people laugh, we took it very, very seriously. And I think, yeah. and, and I hate to be a downer for you folks. No, <laughs> what, but, but what I want to know, and this is my own limitations too, what, what did that, yeah. what did you see that adding to the film? Why yeah. was that scene there? Well, I wanted to, I, I wanted to show, I wanted to show Jennifer in her career, but without having to, make it a bigger thing mm-hmm. where you know in, in holiday films you see 
you see the finance person running around and she's like, I have to go, I have to go home, I have to go, I have to go home. Where's my letter from my, did my mom call? All these different things that add to this big environment. Sure. But I want to show something more intimate. And then I think I was watching some type of project, or I think even because of my dog, I just thought it would be very, very intimate to have someone dealing with grief be at this experience and then realize my mind is thinking about other things because of this one action. And I also thought too, to be honest, almost like a twist and turns, there's some people who are going to watch this film in four minutes and say, this isn't for me. And that's fine. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, but also to your point, Emily, too, this has shown that it's not this bubbly, right, whatever, right. Christmas film. Three minutes in, you're seeing that. So it's like, oh, this is a little bit deeper. Right, this is going to go to darker places than what you're used yes. to. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a lot of death in this film, too. I mean, not on screen, but like the... <laughs> The in one reality, the the, the girlfriend died, Correct. and the child, uh, yep. the, the preborn child, um, yep. and the father. The father right? who yes, who we both loved. Um, yeah, he was, uh, he was yeah. such a warm actor, and I, you know, I yeah. mean, that also goes to you to bring that out of him. But Thank he really you. was. It was just this like one of those cases where you just instantly like get this man and believe him to be a good father. Um, and curious because uh, to me, I had a theory about it. Uh-huh. But because you don't explain it in the film, which I think is okay, but there is uh, in Jennifer's, you know, starting reality, her father has passed away. And right. I don't think we ever get the details. And then in this alternate reality, where to me, it's a butterfly effect thing. If certain things yeah. in your life change, then, you know, her father, if, you know, she grew up angrier, maybe, um, then maybe she, you know, she pulled away from her father and then wasn't there to help him stay on a healthy mm-hmm. path. And so that's what, where I thought the difference went between him being alive and dead. But do you have a different explanation or theory on that? Yes. When, when, when I wrote the script, I wrote it with more intentions of dialogue and go back to said before about the, um, the opening scene with the vet. There's a lot of exposition you could put in there. So people could like Emily could say, Oh, I got it. You know, but then in the end it's exposition rather than either people, but people want to know this. That's why it's hard to kind of cram this all into 90 minutes. So mm-hmm. we had in the walk and talk scene when Jennifer and Asriel walk and talk, uh, we had where she explains to uh, Asriel saying, you know, my father passed away and she's like, you know, liver cancer. Um, you know, it was the hardest time of my life. And basically we tried to allude that he was, her father was a drinker. Aww. So then, so then in the film, we had, we filmed that, but then some people, my editor and my producer felt the walk and talk was too long. And yeah, we get it already. More and more and more. More people die. More people this. More people that. We mm-hmm. got it already. So they took that got out. It. So then in the film, when you see Jennifer <laughs> eating dinner and with her father and Gabby and, you know, Gabby's like, let's do shots or whatever. And then Jennifer's like, no, no more for him. She's yep. looking out for his health. Yes. You know, like, no more for De- Papa, your health. And then, you know, looking out for his health in that way. So I always felt that Jennifer's father died because of liver problems, but he didn't die when, when she was 20 years old, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I also thought that 20 years later, her father must have died, just died, and people died. But about so people could answer the question, but it's hard to be, it's not hard. It's, it was for us at that point in time, we had it in there, but it came more about exposition than it was about movie Jennifer's, um, uh, her character forward. And I think definitely we had the moments where um, people ask about her mother. It's like, yeah, her mother wasn't alive in the alternate world because this all is after her mother's death. So right. that's not relevant at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and because you know, I, the decision was go back in time to a day. Like, I guess yes. if she could have gone back to 
the day she was born if she shows I wanted, but it was very clear, like, you yeah. can pick the day or the moment. And so she picks the exact moment where she can, you know, make a different decision with her, you know, what she says to Gabby at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I, also, I also think that she knew going back in time, I think she kind I think she, she understood the death of her mother. She understood mm-hmm. that because she lived with her father for that long amount of time. But I also think for her father's case, she was aware that her father was a drinker. And she mm. was aware, I mean, also we have alcohol in the beginning when she's pouring it in there. Sure. Granted, everyone has alcohol in their house, we know that. But I, just, I, I mean, I, I sometimes try to go too subtle. It's, again, it's my first film, but in the subtlety, it brings questions. So it's <laughs> like, you know, you learn, and you learn as you move forward that you have to kind of give more hints of that or just stick, stick by it because people have questions and you have to have the answers. Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up too, Emily and I are both, we're both New Yorkers. Um, Emily born and raised in Long Island. I lived in New York for 17, 18 years. I live in Ohio now. But one thing we really liked about the movie was the New Yorkiness of it, how New York it was. Because so many of these movies that we watch are obviously filmed in Canada or uh, Atlanta sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the one thing that really resonated with me, a lot of it did, but I loved the walk and talk because of that, because Mm. that rang true. That happens. That happened so often when I lived in New York, running into somebody either at a bar on the street in your neighborhood, you have this really great connection for six blocks and then you never see them again. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I loved that. I was the only people that know where I buried those bodies or those strangers <laughs> I have met at corners. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, can be th- honest with a stranger mm-hmm. more yep. than you can be with people that you know really well. Yeah, and thank you. I, I, I felt that way too because I'm a New Yorker so I know that could happen. Yeah. And I... Uh, and we have some on the flip side, we have some comments where people think, Jennifer, why would you go running in the dark? You know, you're going to get hurt. Or Jennifer, why talk to a stranger? Like, you know, Central city? Park West, come on, <laughs> yeah. please. Um, but that definitely, I always felt, especially in the film too, when Asriel speaks to... Uh, Jennifer, he tells her, come on, girl, you don't know me. I don't know you. Let it all out. Yep. And she thinks about it. It's like, fuck it. I don't know you. Yeah, but just yeah. say whatever I say. You know, and sometimes people need someone to talk to because he couldn't talk to David about these things. We haven't seen another best friend of hers and she mm-hmm. can't talk to, who would talk to about these type of things? So I think there's a lot of that type of pent up type of, that type, yeah. type of emotion for Jennifer. And that's why at the end of the film, when she finds out with Asriel, she's able to let it release. Yeah. But at that point in time, she was just happy just to talk to someone and just yeah. another type of energy that's aside from the stiff type of family that David comes from. Which, and yeah. I think it's also very believable to me as a, just the from a character point of view. If and Jason and I had some kind of disagreement about whether she what before alternate reality, I guess whether she had ever kind of acknowledged that she was gay or whether she was bisexual um, and that whole history. But to me, the the first reality, uh, it made sense that she would be a little bit more, you know, closed off because there was this huge part of herself that she probably never let out. Yes, yes, correct. Correct. And, well, and she also had Aunt Viv being a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that Aunt Viv wannabe. Uh, no, come on. I mean, I, I would say this though, and um, Tyra Perel, who was in Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, and uh, White Man Can't Jump, fantastic actress, and she she read the script, and I never met her before. I reached out to her manager, and I said, I would love for you to be a part of this because I was a big fan and she was at the same film festival I was at and I thought because of the film festival, American Black Film Festival, there's a connection there where I could get to her. Mm-hmm. So 
and it, there was and so I reached out to them and she read the script and she immediately liked it because she said that she never got to play a character of affluence before and for her mm. that meant everything her whole yeah. career majority of her career she's a New York City theater actress too but she always had to play these tough women who were trying to find money for their kids middle class people all the time she had to play that and now she was thrilled to kind of play someone who has affluence who is just rich beyond belief and have fun yeah. So I, I think like independent films like ours kind of give people opportunities like that, and that's why she just took it and ran with it. And some people, some people hate her because of what she's supposed to be, but some people <laughs> love it because it's like, yeah, I know that woman. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know, I think, you know. And I want to clarify, it's the character that I didn't no, like. No, no, she's no, no, great. Yeah. She's obviously yeah. great, but that character, like, I would have a hard time too having that as my mother-in-law, <laughs> walking on pins and needles, my yeah. butthole clenched all the time, <laughs> terrified of her. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I and I, I that was a really fun scene to write because then on the flip side you have the father who is basically the one who's making all the money but has nothing to say because he lost that fight with his wife a long time ago. Yeah, and again we having we watched it and talked about it. We didn't remember he was there. We're like he was dead, yeah. right? Yeah. Also, because I'm yeah. very used to dead parents in these movies, so I'm constantly uh, yeah. looking for that. <laughs> right. And thank you for giving us that because we did get it in like multiple different ways, which yeah. which helped out a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's a question I wanted to ask you. Did you listen to – have you listened to any of Emily's previous shows? I have uh, not. So have not. she has a checklist that she goes mm-hmm. through about these holiday movies that uh, – because they all seem to hit the same beats. You know, yeah. There's the woman in need of a lesson. There Correct. is the dead parents. Correct. There's, there's a, a montage. Like, yeah. yeah. Correct. Correct. And, and it seems like you hit a lot of them. Were you specifically trying to match – the rhythm and beats and of these Hallmark movies, Lifetime movies. Yeah, what else did you watch and listen to or read to sort of get into the mind place of not just from kind of the more independent creative side, but also from the marketing side of okay, if this does does this have to fit a mold? Was that part of what you had to do? Yeah, I I <laughs> I was watching Christmas films for about six months straight just <laughs> in the background that's watching life. Yeah. yeah it's dangerous yeah, and a dark dark place yeah so i that's why i'm happy jason said that because when you start explaining these different type of tropes i'm like okay i know what she's talking about but i never knew your 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 grading scale from compared to other type of films but um i definitely knew i wanted this film i thought i wrote this film at first to kind of just be the first hallmark or Lifetime, ideally a Hallmark queer Christmas film. I wanted it to be that. That was a goal when I wrote it back in uh, 2019. And But while writing it, I started realizing that there's a lot of, you know, we're, we're going there. We're not We're not, We're not. not being yeah. very apologetic. We're going there. So Hallmark may, may, may pass on this. But Lifetime is still a chance, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. But but while I was writing it, I just knew, because I love Christmas films. I watched my mother growing up. I love romantic love stories. I love, I love the holiday films that are more time travelish and a little bit deeper than they are about someone that goes to um, a Christmas or a type of like Christmas tree lot and picks a Christmas tree and falls mm-hmm. up with the local baker. Yes. Right. You but want those the... Are fun to watch. I want something yeah. that's more like, wow. Conceptual, definitely. Conceptual. I, I can see myself in it. I can also think. Yep. So there's one Christmas film. I don't know if you saw it. The Spirit of Christmas. I did. Yes. 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 I watched that one last year. So I saw, I saw that film. I was doing my research for this one. And first of all, I love the whole idea of like the, the spirit character. And I love the idea. I mean, it was amazing how snowy it looked. <laughs> I, it, it was, I'm like, how do they find that snow? Because you keep on looking at these Christmas films looking for fake snow, but Always, yeah. wherever they filmed, it was such a beautiful location. And 
I just love that film. So I love that. I mean, I loved a lot of the Christmas films, and some of them, even though you know they follow these type of tropes or they have the type of low lower budget, and low budget, we're talking about what, like what, a, a million dollars, seven hundred fifty k, but some of these films, they they just saw about the story. And I'm someone as a filmmaker, as an actor, I could go by a low budget, and I could I could see a low budget and follow story. So I just really love those things. And sorry to go back. I knew you had to have Christmas music. That was important. Yes. Yeah, so how does so, that work? Do you get a list of what's public yeah. domain and a list of recordings that are available? So you have to basically you can do you can do whatever you want. It's your film. You either mm-hmm. want to put a song like Mariah Carey all over for all over <laughs> for Christmas, and then you have to pay tons of money. And then you realize you it's triple research. your budget. Yeah. Yeah. Or you do the research and find a public domain song. So I went through a whole list of public domain mm-hmm. songs and I looked at the songs I liked the most. And obviously A Holy Night was something I loved and Emily might understand this. I loved it because of the NSYNC Home for Christmas album. It was an acapella oh, version nice. by NSYNC, and yes. I love that. So I'm like, okay, it would be great if we do the acapella because you don't have to pay for an arrangement, just someone singing a public domain song. Right, right. So that was great. And then you found a really sexy Oh Christmas Tree song. Yeah, oh. yeah. So we had Oh Christmas Tree. At first we had the song um, uh, Chestnuts Roasted on Empty... Oh, no. Chestnuts, Chestnuts mm. Roasted. Yeah, we had that song first. Yeah. The wedding singer who passed away due to COVID back in June oh, in our film. Yeah. So he he had a song that we were going to use, but we couldn't clear the rights for that song. Uh, and it was again, I wanted a counterpoint when they're making love to have a Christmas type of music song uh-huh. there because you don't see that often. Yeah. And there were some people on social media that, that said I ruined a Christmas tree for them, but. <laughs> No, as I said, it's like my least favorite Christmas song, but I yeah. love like I couldn't get over. I'm like this, is like this is the sexiest Oh Christmas Tree I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah. like what album did this come from? And she, uh, I, I think, think about the lyrics of Oh Christmas Tree. It's like I love all your branches. The branches are the right? roots of someone's love, and I, I mean, I go that far deep into kind of like wanting. It's it's there for a reason, but the hard part is that. Some people either get that reason or I have to come on a podcast and explain it. <laughs> oh, no, it, it worked for me. Like I said, I'm like, I never realized, like, how, mu- how much the words in there are really, like, they're literal. And if you take them a certain way, you're like, oh, no, I get it. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is, a, this is a good making love song. Who knew? Yeah. And we had a lot of original music. We also had uh, this one song, Memories, that it's a song in the middle, middle of the uh, when Jennifer comes home for the first time in her alternate world and she mm-hmm. sees she sees like her house with pictures of her and Gabby and she basically has to feed the dog. So we had a song that was just um, an instrumental song, but we needed lyrics. And my producer, editor, Ian Phillips said, we need lyrics. And I said, where are we going to find this? Like, you, you, it's hard to get lyrics for a song. So I wrote a poem and that, that's, that poem became a song. So one of the songs in the film I actually wrote, which I'm very, very oh, proud of. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So I think that's when, when, when you do an independent filmmaking, you have to, you you have to just kind of find ways to get it done. Yeah. yeah. You know, Emily and I both come from, from I, I started to say a horror background. Neither of us have worked in film, but we are, we met and bonded over yeah. horror movies. That's how we yeah. became friends. And um, we love, we love a lot of podcasts about horror films and we talk about that all the time. And one of the things we consistently say with horror is a lot of it's low budget, mm-hmm. but you'll watch a movie and you'll say, you'll see if, if this director got a budget and yeah. had a little bit more resources yeah. he could yeah. do something great yeah. and i think that's something we specified in our yeah. film as well yeah. because we could tell that like it's got to it's hard you're doing yeah. everything right yeah. you yeah. were writing yeah. songs you yeah. were directing you were <laughs> acting yeah yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And I, I think also when you said that, I'm like, oh, I like Jason. I have to at least have a <laughs> No, because, because you, you basically said it. In the end, we can have fun about this film, but let's not forget what it takes to, one, get a film on Netflix or even make a yeah. film in general, a feature film. And yeah, I hope, and that, that was the whole thing early on. I had advice with someone that said, with this film, just make sure there's good acting. You only get yeah. two to three takes max. You can't you you, you can't go in there trying to make your uh, your Titanic. It's not happening. You know you don't have enough yep. money for that. You just have to make sure you over prepare. You have good people who are supportive of you, and we just get it done because people like Jason and Emily and other people out there. I I hope that they're the higher ups. They would see that you got it done. You told the story and oh, come on for a first film telling a story about time travel if that yeah. my whole thing was like does this make sense and if it makes somewhat sense and people understand understand that you got it done they would say okay here's this type of budget let's see what you can do so i'm hoping that happens and i i, I feel pretty confident because i see myself making million dollar films in the future i just knew that for this first one as i got this done that's what starts it you mean multi-million dollar films in the future, right? Yes, yes, yes. Multi, yeah, <laughs> multi. Yes. Well, I mean, you had certainly one pretty pretty A-list actor in your film with Chris Noth, and then, yeah. the, I mean, the rest of your cast, all you, you had some really interesting, good performances from a lot of faces I didn't know. So yeah. how did how did you go about casting, and how how did everybody come together? Well, when when you when you're making your own film at this level, it's really good to know that you could cast your friends. And being a New York City actor, it's <laughs> it's I met, I met a lot of phone. different people. Yep. Yeah, I'd say, hey, do you want to do something? And a lot of people ask. We're very conscious about casting queer queer people to play this film, play roles in this film as well. But no matter, it's still a low budget film. So if you're queer or you're not, you can still say no. So a lot of people who said, <laughs> oh, you want me to be in the film, but you don't have enough money, you shoot in how many days? I'm gonna say no, which is fine. So, you know, I always like to keep, keep let people know that we try to cast a lot of people. Some people said no, some people said yes. Mm-hmm. And um, for Chris, Chris is a dear friend of mine. We worked on Broadway together on the play that championship season. I was assistant director. He was one of the stars with Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Patrick, who's in Jitters. Brian Cox and uh, Jim Gaffigan. So they all were, I'm like their little brother. And my first film, Jitters, Jason was a part of it. Chris was a producer on that. They wanted to support. And then with this film, I think it became a thing where Chris saw all the kind of uh, notoriety Jason was getting for being a short film that Chris, <laughs> you know, as, as boys are, well, I'm going to be the next one. Yeah, so, where's my part? Yeah, yeah, it was my part. So um, when I wrote this, this script and I, I told him about the part of Father Kelly, he gets offered so many different things and there's one thing to support me financially, but he wants to support in a way of being a part of it. Yeah. And he loved the character. He loved the idea of having a priest that's conflicted. Chris is a very yeah. spiritual person. He and I, over the years, have gone to different type of services together because he's very curious as any great actor is. So he, he, was just, he just felt it was remarkable to know in this day and age, the conflict of this priest. And from there, he's, you know, he's, he also told me, too, I got to offer another Christmas film. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do yours. But don't get your don't get your head gas. You wouldn't better script. <laughs> well, and he gets an what? arc, which is not typically something you give to normally what we call the sage old person. I don't know that yeah. he really fits that role in this one because his, I think, kind of um, uh, his change and his growth comes be- because of what other characters are also saying to him. But it is, it's the kind of role that in a Hallmark movie, this guy would just be in the background and show up to give a wedding at the end and that's it. But in this case, he goes through 
you know, struggling with his faith, which is not something you get in a movie that's kind of made for this audience. Did yeah. he die too in the alternate? Yeah, that no, was our question. Disappear in the alternate. He was he was uh, he like was removed, removed from ministry because he gave because he gave uh, private same sex weddings. But right. he was still alive. He was still alive. Okay, good. I'm yeah, I'm <laughs> a lot of, a lot of yeah, a lot of people. But no, but it's also because for I wanted to show that the reality, this alternate world, again, alternate world, you can do whatever you want. So people have these questions, and we'll get to them. Sure. Obviously, it's alternate world. Do whatever you want. It's alternate. It's not <laughs> totally. But, well, but, it, can, yeah. But can you I have to. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Can I go back to to casting a little bit? I, yeah. I, I'm kind of obsessed with Denny Dillon. I love her. <laughs> uh, are you friends with her? How did that yeah. come about? Where That's actually how we ended up picking this movie. I think. Yeah. Because oh, really? I said, Jason, she pick a movie. Me... Here's a list of a bunch, and he's like, Denny Dillon's in this one. I'll do it. Yeah. Well, I love Fremont, yeah. and I've just oh, always yeah. loved her. I loved in the, her in that Roseanne TV movie where she played yeah. Roseanne. Or Saturday Night, Saturday Night yeah. Fever. Yeah, and she used That's to be right. on Saturday Night Live as well, right? Yeah, she was yeah, a yeah. cast member. Yeah. So I've been obsessed with her for years. Yeah. What's the story there? How so Denny and I did a play, off-Broadway play, at the Fleet Theater called Fulfillment. And um, Denny met her day one in rehearsals for about two months. And Denny's about four... 11 and I'm 6'4 and we were best friends. <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> um, it. Denny, yeah, and Denny, it was just so great to kind of be around Denny and learn so much from Denny. And Denny would always, because she right now lives in upstate New York and she would always talk about how she'll come into town for auditions, how she'll do this, she'll do that. And I, and she was all very kind and supportive. And this is Denny Dillon who's done everything, but yet she was still just one of the people who's just working, you know, just working and just yeah. wanted to kind of talk and communicate. So when I wrote this, when I wrote this script and I had this idea of the basically the one who holds all the secrets and a lot of people feel like, well, why would this lady know everything? Well, if you go to some of these churches, the people that worked there for a long time, yep. they know, they know a lot. Yeah, they the ones with, lot. with access to the paperwork, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I told Denny, I said, Hey Denny, I wrote this, this scene for you. What do you think? And, you know, at first, it's like, it's a lot of exposition. I can't do this. I'm like, well, Denny, that's why I have you to kind of make it better. You know? but, <laughs> good, good trick. Um, that works. So she worked on it, and we worked on it. And then, you know, she, I mean, she's, it's great. And I think, to your point, for people who are aware of her talent and are aware of the whole New York City aspect we're trying to create, it's like, Denny Dillon in this role, of course. Yeah. You know? well, when, when you speak to her, please tell her that I'm a huge fan. I will. It's a I will. delight to see her in this role. She was I great. I will. He's fantastic. And then also, so then the young people, I cast them, I, rent, I, I reached out to a cast director I knew, and she gave me just the agent's names rather than doing it, doing it because, again, no budget. So I had to reach out to agents, and oh, God bless our agents and managers, because now you understand why <laughs> they want to fight for, instead of $125 per day for their actor, they want 127 you know? So it's kind of like, really... <laughs> Really, we're doing a low budget film. Either you want to be part of this film or not. But um, that's their subway ride. They yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we cast, we cast. I was very happy we cast the young girls, Camilla Hardin and Natasha Goodman, who played young Jennifer and young uh, Gabrielle, because they look very, very similar to both characters. They, they very much did. Yeah. Share, yeah, and they share that type of, they share a type of similar type of uh, energy that the young, the young Adriana, the young Mia mm-hmm. would have. Like at the end of the film, when the two girls, the young girls kiss, I still to this day, whenever I see that scene, I feel as if it's Nia and Adriana as adults just kissing as young people. And I I think we did a great job with that. Very much. And um, 
And obviously, we have Walker here in there who plays <laughs> the stone car driver. That, in a a very big that stretch for at. him. Very big stretch. Yeah, never yeah. seen him do a role yeah. like that at all. But it's, it's, it's actually funny. We had a, before that, before, the, before offering the role, he's like, dude, man, where are some hearts for me? I'm like, listen, Walker, I'm sorry to say there's only two white, white guys in this film. One is Chris Phillips and one will be you. <laughs> like, but to say that in 2020, the fact that you only could cast yeah. two, pe- two white people in a film, this is a film that does that. And not yeah, and it, totally. wasn't, it wasn't by, obviously it's by choice because I'm the writer-director, but it's also, it's a female-heavy film and it's yeah. a black family and everyone else is just... And it's organic. I, 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 a yeah. lot of, especially on like the Hallmark side, when they do, when they have an actor of color, either they just completely ignore the fact that the actor is of color, or it'll be something like, you know, oh, it's an actor that's supposed to be, you know, of of Mexican descent, so every time they have to talk about salsa, like, it's just where it's very like, oh, God, a white person wrote this and directed this. And in your film, it feels absolutely organic that, you know, I don't know exactly where everybody is from, but Mm -hmm. I totally buy that you know, her her mother was probably black, her father yep. is Hispanic, her, you know, Adriana is clearly Italian-American, and I know that person, and I know that family very well. Oh, and do it, you? Yeah. Oh, just so much. Yeah, I mean, my last yeah. name's Entravia. Like, yes, completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Otoje, oh, see, I you, you said it, it You said it. You, you, you hesitated. You said it, You said it. Toje. You said Did it. I? Look yeah. at me. Killing it. <laughs> um, so, what I, I wanted to ask you, and I'm, Emily, if I'm sorry to to jack your questions if you're going to ask the same thing but where when you're directing those multi-million dollar films where what do you want to direct where do you want to go what do you want to do yeah yeah i, I would love to uh, i love to keep on creating my own stories uh, i would love to i've i've written so my first film i've written was uh my first film that i that i've written was a is a relationship drama that i wrote back in 2010 but no one would give you money for your first feature sure. without doing a short so i wrote a short so then now I had the script again, but no one would give you, but no, but I couldn't revisit that feature again because this film came up right after. Mm. So now that I have this film done, I definitely want to go back and take this, take that first feature to market. And I also, <laughs> I want to tell, I want to tell more universal stories that are surprising to people. Like, yes, I'm an ally, but yes, I'm telling the, I'm telling these, these queer love stories that for some reason it's for everyone rather than just for a queer community yeah. if that makes sense and I, and I think that's because of my background i mean I, I grew up with my parents are nigerian they're immigrated from nigeria and i grew up in a household where in nigeria it's an african household but when i go outside to school and my friends it's, they're american people so my whole point of view in the world is basically something that's very uni- very unique universal and i think i could tell stories from that point of view that my stories could kind of keep, c- communicate more of a vast audience rather than a specific audience because of my household. Because I, I, I've grown up to be a part of everything. I'm a former athlete, so I, I, I get sports. I would love to tell a sports story. Um, I, I love to tell any type of story because I'm the one who kind of, I grew up in all of it and, and it's, it's all in me basically rather okay. than just saying I grew up in the business and I know films only about actors. Well, and the more specific, the more universal. 100%. And, and that's something that Hallmark forgets, I think, where it's just, you know, everybody is so bland and open that there is nothing you remember about them whereas you know adriana being very italian and catholic and all those little touches that means i can still identify with somebody even if that's not me but i remember them more because of all these things Mm -hmm. um now they also have to think about for a long time we have been to your point we're watching these films from the other networks that 
they're bland, but we still have to kind of see where we fit in because that's yeah. all we're watching, right? Sure. So now on the flip side, let people from the other networks watch our film and they might really see themselves now to the point yeah. where a lot of people are like, oh, this is a little bit too dark, but you guys are living dark lives, but you're not putting a mirror to it. That's the problem, I think, because in the end, yeah, there's some very good, sappy, bubbly Christmas mm-hmm. films, and they deserve to be there. We all want to step away. But our film is a love story, but it's a deeper love story. Yeah. And that's why I think the New York City in the title makes so much of a difference, because New York is a lot more grittier than it is, yeah. you know, uh, that 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 uh, fictional town in Oh, yeah. Grittier. There was swearing in your movie, sir. Yeah. Are, <laughs> Jason can handle it. We are, we, are the first, we are the first TV movie because of Netflix to use the F word for Christmas. That's right. And it shocked me. Shocked me. <laughs> I did not see it coming. Because yeah. I'm so used to this Hallmark lifetime mm-hmm. world. The first time somebody said fuck, I was like, oh, my TV's broke. What just happened? <laughs> well, so, and now this is something that I had to ask because, as you know, we I, I had strong feelings about it. Is yeah. I love that you had a love scene between two women. Um, why are they wearing bras when they go to sleep? Well, yeah, I, yeah. So I do remember you said that too. Mm-hmm. So because my intention was at first, and this is this is where you go from like you're the director, you want to do this, and then and I read down the script what she's wearing. So I had where she's wearing a basically um, a flannel shirt or basically pajama shorts, okay, or something like that. And that our producer's sense. like, no, this that's good. That's good for. That's good for you to tell your stories about being real, but we're making a film that we wanted to be on a bigger platform, so mm. they want to look different. Which I kind of like. I kind of feel where I understand why they're saying that is a part of me that's kind of felt like ah, oh, you're you're pulling that commercial thing, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I I think it was a wardrobe choice, and we gave it to the two actors. What would you rather wear? And then I remember Adriana was like. I want to look good in the scenes. I'm going to wear that. <laughs> sure. no. And they do look you great. Know, they look fabulous. Yeah, yeah. But you want to leave it to them at first. But I thought, like, it's more realistic. You go into bed. This is a person you're married. You're going to marry. You go to bed. You know, you wear sweatpants. You wear sweatshirts. You know, right. yeah, that's what you would do normally. That's realistic. But they're but like, you no. as as a man know that women do not go to bed in bras. Oh, of course. Of course we not. just wanted to make sure of that. Yeah. Of course okay, not. cool. Uh, I know as a man and I know as someone who's slept next to someone who could wear sweatpants and be very, very sexy. So I totally <laughs> yeah. get it. You know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be that, but you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, they, they look good in it and they, they made the scene work and they definitely, you know, that, that, that was a difference because again, this is my first love scene. I'm, I'm yeah. filming where I'm not in it because jitters, I made one, but, but I think we did well with jitters in this film is that we did a lot of fragmented type of, uh, like touches and it was more about what I wanted to have more about Jennifer exploring a female body for the first time that's not yeah. hers and I wanted to show that and I think a lot of people they make their comments about it being tamed or it being just kissing but it's like this is not this is not a pornography this is this is someone yeah. who's loving this is someone who waited 20 years to kiss and touch her best friend and her lover and now she's doing it in this alternate world but it feels so real but at the same time she's aware I think you might remember the moment when she's touching her and kissing her. Jennifer is looking to the side, her eyes are still open. At that moment, it was almost like she's still thinking about David rather than like, where am I? You know, right, that right. type of contradiction to the reality, the real world and the alternate world. Yeah. You know, Emily and I d- debated this and she brought it up a little bit earlier. And I, I, we, I, I'm sure you have your opinion, but as the movie goes, what did yeah. you want to portray uh, Jennifer as bisexual, pansexual, yeah. hiding in the closet and marrying somebody and actually secretly lesbian? What was your what did you want to portray in the film? 
I wanted to portray her as just being in love, and uh-huh. I and I, it, it's hard because this is this is where, for me as an ally, how do I how do I label someone? But I wrote the character, right. so I should be able to do it. I know that, but there's some people who feel it's it's like who you ask. There's some people who feel yeah. like fuck labels, don't label me. Right. I'm always changing, so I, I you don't know I don't know what to sure. do, but I do like the fact that people are seeing her as a bisexual character, but then but then the question is. Some bisexual characters or people, I guess, don't get. I, I'm learning that the bisexual characters are people, they're seen as bi but not gay or vice versa. I mean, sure. I, it's, mm. it's, it's a it's a weird thing where people are like, yeah. oh, you're not you're not. This is what I read. Oh, you're bisexual, but you're not. That doesn't mean you're gay or not. You're bisexual, so you are someone who. You're not fully gay. What 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 does that even mean? You know, right, like, right. like Carrie used to say, she wasn't accepted by her black friends. She wasn't yeah. accepted yep. by her white friends. She yeah. was like in this middle. But the only reason I'm, I was pressing the issue is because it, it kind of does change how you interpret the film. Correct. Was she with David just because she was closeted and he was a beard Safe? to her? Yeah. Or was uh, she just very fluid and she genuinely loved David? Yeah. And she was torn between these two relationships. So, and Emily, you think she was bisexual, and Jason, you said she's just crazy. I know <laughs> kind of backwards. I thought yeah. that she was she was just very fluid and yeah. she was bisexual or pansexual. Yep. And Emily thought that it was more closeted. Is I that thought right? she was more clo- I, yeah, well I think I don't I, I think she certainly was attracted to David and and did love him um, in this be, reality. Right? I was gonna say, I'm like, hey, you're a very good looking man. Like that you guys yeah. would have had lovely babies together. But there, it seemed to me, and I think, um, and again, this is probably where had you not had to make a Christmas movie, some of this, more of this probably would have come out. You yeah. know, the fact that we talked about how in the beginning, you know, clearly she's just had a big career change where she went from finance right. to, I guess, being like a, a veterinary assistant or vet tech. Or and yes. that's a big change. And it clearly <laughs> yeah. a change where you're saying, okay, I don't want the lifestyle I, I, I had that's right. not what I want. I actually want to do something that maybe more morally um, and spiritually satisfies me with dogs and, mm-hmm. and animals also. But that that same kind of with her, with she always seemed uncomfortable with David. That yeah. as soon as, and part of that again is the family and is that she, you know, she didn't feel like she fit in. But you could see her change when she is with Gabby and when she's in this other life and wearing sweatpants and you know not on the Upper East Side you kind of see more of her come out. And mm-hmm. so to me, that's why I thought like, maybe because Jason brought up the point that when you go to church with her and sit yeah. down, that she, that he, David does not seem surprised to find out that she kind of had these feelings for Gabby. But to me, it was, I believed that there was, you know, kind of, she, she had closed off a lot of herself. And part yeah. of that might've been her sexuality. And I, and I think because of the fact we talked about her, Jennifer now in 2019 or 2020, depending when you watch the film, there's more of an openness to it now than it would have been in 1999, mm-hmm. right? So in 1999, oh, yeah. maybe she may have fully committed if she was, I mean, if she was with um, Gabrielle at that time, maybe she would have been a lesbian, uh, mm-hmm. maybe at that time, but because of the suppressed feelings of love and what she had for emotions, she was. She didn't know what it was. I, I, do I think Jennifer before Dave was going out to the cubby hole? I don't think so. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, but do I do I think she was at a party and saw a beautiful woman and said, "Wow, that woman's beautiful," mm-hmm. but afraid? But then we'll think about Gabby right away. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I, I yeah. think it was almost that. What if I never got yep. to explore that? 
but I know what those feelings are, but I never got to explore that. So I think, yes, I, I think it's, I think it could be a pan thing, it, but I, I, I think, yeah, it's just so hard because I don't want to label her, but I also know that in writing the story, I saw her being someone who's just loving, which I guess that's what pansexual is, mm-hmm. pan, being a pansexual is just loving who she loves. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. So uh, what is next for you? Where are you going next? What's happening? Okay. So right yep. now, next, I we did three music videos right now during the pandemic. We did one of them with one of them with uh, Queen V, a one fantastic artist. And she was actually the vet in the film, Queen V. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was her... This is her first time. I just assumed that was also with the real vets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the first time acting on screen. And I remember we did, she and I did rehearsals. I offered her the part because there's, she's a fantastic artist. And I just love the fact, you know, in films you see these, because artists are performers. As a musician, she just rocks the stage. And then I thought it'd be really good to see this vet be someone who is just not actory. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. granted, I could have had other friends play the part, but I also knew why not? I'm in the opportunity to cast people. Why not cast someone and give them an opportunity? And that sure. would be all the way. And she nailed it. And so we did a music video for her called Strong that our production company, Wilco Productions, we produced it. I directed it. My edit, Our editor, Ian Phillips, um, he edited the videos. That's, we did that. Then we did two music videos from the film, um, The Bells and Christmas and also uh, Memories, the one that I wrote. So oh, we did that. Very cool. And then... Right now, I'm still developing. I have another script that, that I'm working on right now, and we have uh, two TV pilots that we're putting together. So it's it's a hard thing because do I think I'm going I'm to walk into Netflix tomorrow and say, all right, Netflix, you found me. Now right, what's next? A lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> but I do know that I'm developing things where I could go into a room and I say this, this, and that. But now is the point, instead of being an independent artist where – you're creating all this stuff for a year, then you hope you get paid back five years from now. Sure. Now I think I'm at a point where I could go to a network or an agent, because I, I still have to find a literary agent too, by the way, and I find that very, very baffling, but I, I'm giving the pandemic a whole thing, because how do you have this film that was top 10 in the UK at one time, or a very popular film, love it or hate it, but you still made a feature film, and it's on Netflix, acquired by Netflix. Yeah. How do you still have to try to write an email to people like you do cast directors and say, hey, by the way, I did this film on Netflix. Hope you can watch it, you know, but you have to do that. You still yeah. business. But I think just me keep on trying to produce things and doing the work because eventually people are going to see that and they'll come call me. Yeah, yeah or I have you'll just so much on, uh, yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah, very uh, boggling to me as somebody who. Uh, you know, it, I think it is creative in my own way, but just when I look at working actors and working directors, and you know, I, I went to I went to Fordham as a as a theater major, not an acting major, and all the actors I was with there, and just seeing how hard they have to work, just to knowing how talented they are and how hard it is on the business side of it, yeah, I just yeah. my my heart goes out. I fully respect people that can that keep going for it because I think it is so much work on top of when you should just be able to you know, make the art you want to make. Yeah. And yeah. me, my personality, as soon as I hit any resistance, I just <laughs> nope. quit and I <laughs> do something else. Words with friends, Dom. It is, friends, it. So it is for me. I admire you yeah. uh, to the end of the world. But, but that's why I think a lot of people, it's it's not easy. And I also, I'm a former athlete, so I, all I know is go, go orientated. But yep. it's hard because as goals are, this business is never a straight line. So in basketball, you make a shot, it goes in or not. In this business, you make a feature film, 
what happens. <laughs> yeah. You see what happens, you know. But I also I also believe, and I think that. I mean, I'm in it for the long haul, you know, and I, and I being I have the opportunity to work with people like your Chris Nolte, Jason Patrick, to keep Sutherland's early on. I knew I belonged in the room, so I Daddy knew. From, I, yeah, Daddy Dylan as well. Yeah, <laughs> with her. I knew I belonged in the room, so I knew for a fact it's that just keep on going, yeah. and eventually something's going to hit. So, it's just... well, and that you've used the the platform that you you had because you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you did. Um, you know, you could have made a different movie. You could have made one that fit more into what probably Netflix would have really wanted. And yeah. you still found a way to make your voice heard and yeah. incorporate different voices and, and different actors and people's stories that we don't normally see. And I think that's wonderful. I, yeah, I have, yeah. And, and I, remember, I remember you said in the first, uh, the first podcast that it's like to take credit because it was smart enough to kind of title the film the way it is because you have more people to see it. And I yeah. think as a first time, as a free first feature, unless you hit something out of the park right away, how are people going to see a first, someone's first film? You know, how does that mm-hmm. happen? But to have a genre film as a first feature, it's not ideal, but I think it is smart in a way if I can look back on it because people are aware that you're making films, but yep. they're not aware it's their first film. That's the problem, but mm. they're aware you're making films. <laughs> well, we're here to tell them. I have one final question that I need an answer to. Um, now you mentioned when you were making it that you, you know you didn't necessarily know exactly where it could end up, but you thought, okay, yeah. maybe Hallmark. Is that why we have that Israel Christmas ornament on the tree at the very end? <laughs> oh yes, yes. So the ornament again, when you write something down and then you film it, the idea is like, oh, this is great, right? And then you then when we filmed it, we never got we we never got as close to the ornament as possible in the original filming. So Who made the ornament? Up. How did you go about like just oh, kind of gluing yeah, things so together? Our, our producer Corey Apton took our actor Cooper Koch and he went, we went to a real life ornament store and they, it's a pretty ornament of himself as well. I didn't even know you could do that. $500. Yeah, $500 is that ornament. It was like, that's our budget. I was going to say, that's, that's going to be like three weeks of craft service. Yeah, but that's the whole thing. But people, you know, people kind of have their opinions about it, which is great. But it's like, we really, that's a real ornament. And I think, to be honest, if we were see, if we were kind of like make replicas of that, people will buy that ornament. I'd buy because one. No matter what, it's yeah. something that's like, oh, this is, remember this film? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I always wanted to have the idea where, and some people look at it as like a wink to It's a Wonderful Life because of... Oh, know, I, I thought that too, wings. yeah. But I, I just always thought that forever, the spirit, and I hope, I hope before we go, we can kind of get into that a little bit, that mm-hmm. the spirit will live on in Jennifer's heart. But also, people have a favorite ornament that means something. You know, I have ornaments on my tree that means things. So this Christmas ornament is going to mean something forever to that both of them together for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I think beautiful. it also gives you that kind of magical opening because whenever you see you know the whole like well it's kind of a dream right there's nothing the end of the movie this it's just restarting and from it seems as though jennifer now as a teenager doesn't necessarily know everything that happened after correct right so but then you you have that little ornament that i'm sure one day she's gonna be like where did this come from and, yeah. and have that moment of like, yeah, this this magical thing. So, it looks like, yeah. like a gay hipster guardian angel. Like a gay what hipster guardian angel, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I always I always thought that I, I wrote it at first where where <clears throat> Gabriel comes, young Gabriel comes back. Jennifer goes, they, they start talking, they kiss, and they go to the tree, and then and then uh, Jennifer picks up the ornament, and says, "Oh, this is my favorite ornament. Look at this." So something like that. It didn't really work. It just seemed too again mm-hmm. too on the nose. Rather than having the visual of the ornament that people can either go with it or not. 
But you, you both you never talked about the the twist, Azrael, Gabison, Gabison. Aren't you surprised oh, yes. about? How do you forget about that? Wait, one more time. What Remember, Azrael's last name was Gabison, which we should have figured out meant Gabby's son. Oh, just yeah. like in yeah. I know what you did last summer. Too. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> That's right. But a, a lot of a lot of people that they they feel like you, I loved you, but then you you lost me with that. I'm like, did I lose you, or you really didn't just notice that? It was there. And then you got mad at yourself. I got mad at myself for the reveal and for not seeing it earlier, I will say. Because I definitely felt like as soon as... Because there was a moment, I think I got it right before he said it, where I was like, oh, oh, now I see it. And then he said it. And I'm like, I should have seen that earlier. So (laughs) there was definitely that aspect that I might have been resistant to it because I was angry at myself. And I think I was just like, wait, Gavison's not a name. I couldn't have heard (laughs) it right. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's so funny yeah the tv's it, messing up again <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's definitely a thing and like jitters i i i writ, wrote this and i thought you gotta have how does this character other than him being a spirit how, how does he really tie into it in a way that's deeper than just being a spirit because that mm-hmm. could be in anything right and to have the opening scene talk about the butterfly effect before yeah. had the opening scene this one this one time they make love and teenagers it happens they make love and all of a sudden it's like oh shit i'm pregnant and what do you do but what happens if this angel character was from that one opening scene and my mother my mother read my, i told my mom about all the reviews and she's like why don't people get it why don't people get it it's a spirit a spirit can a spirit can be 85 years old a spirit can have three heads why are people so crazy about this whole spirit fetus thing I'm like, i don't know mom <laughs> i love your mom yeah yeah Good yeah mom. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I appreciate the fact that he, he was he was related to the story because so often in these Christmas stories or any story where you have a spirit or an angel coming down to help yeah. somebody, yeah. Uh, they have no reason to. Right. You're like, yeah. look, it's why great is, Dolly Parton is a guardian angel? angel, but why yeah. is she this person's guardian angel and not mine? And now yeah. I know the reason it's it's because taken... I didn't get pregnant when I was 16 by like right. the neighborhood uh, douchebag. So yeah, yeah. but that, why that's why like, yeah. Come down and take time out of his schedule just for this right. douchebag in this tiny little town. It does make sense. Because he had to, he had to it was written down in the script. But that's why yeah. I, I that's why I always think with Azriel, like taking taking the time for him to really be there, and that's why the title Azriel's Gift. Once people watch the film, it would have been asking mm-hmm. a lot, but it's like oh, this 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 spirit gave up his life. As a yeah. gift for love, but it's very, very. You have to really think about that. But you know, a lot of people who like Christmas films, they just like what's in front of them and have it to be very, very simple. But now you opened a door because now I'm curious. What yeah. was Azrael doing? Be- presumably for those, I guess it was 20 years, right? Yeah. Those 20 years, like what was what was he doing when he before he announced himself to Jennifer? Was he just like hanging around, being a gay? hipster guardian but not angel <laughs> i i actually we have a deleted scene that shows him before he met jennifer and he's in a bar and he's talking to a woman and a, he's talking to a woman and the woman says she says you know how are you you know what's your name where are your friends and she's like wait what aren't you gay and he's like and he, he tears her down for using the word gay and how it's so human rather than understanding spirits things like that and again, written down, it was great. And then when you put it in there, <laughs> when you put it in there in the film, it didn't work because it was better to see Asriel meet Jennifer at that meet mm-hmm. moment with the bike rather than this random person in a bar yeah. talking to a woman. We don't get it. But I have that scene. And I, I, I think Asriel definitely, for the past 20 years, he was a spirit. I, I, maybe he's bouncing a different type of uh, worlds. But I just, we knew that for this 
because Jennifer was in need and was in help. And Cooper Kashi actor, he said as was on his phone, it's almost as if like God sent him to the world to kind of do like do some type of thing. He has like some God GPS, like where am I gonna <laughs> find this girl? Where am I gonna find this girl? It makes sense. He does kind of show up player. very conveniently. God's texting me again. Yeah. Oh, God, that. He sent me a Foursquare <laughs> check-in. I gotta go. Yeah, that's what, but that's what, that's what Cooper was saying. But I, I definitely, I definitely like the idea that you know he he's a spirit. I, I I think spirits are you know they're up there, and then when they have to be seen, like we pray to them. You know, we pray to we pray to. Um, I can't forget we pray for you know we pray to uh, well if you're Catholic you have your different yeah. saints and everything so yeah but also you know when people are like oh my gosh I, if people are even if they aren't religious but once they lose their keys or something like that they really do or they lose their phone because phones sure. are more important than keys nowadays right <laughs> yeah. so people really start asking people you know for the higher power to help them out so I think at this point in time Jennifer wasn't asked for a higher power but for the sake of the film we knew she needed one. Yeah, the timing well, was. It's right. an inflection point in her life too. Like you know, yeah. this wedding is coming up, and yeah. she's there. There's all of these things that are culminating and making her reflect. So I yeah. think it was a really important time for him to show up then. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he might have always been there with her through her, through her life, but this was the point where he's like, "I got to intercede." Now I'm yeah. gonna get him by Walker Hill out of this. Yeah, that, that's why she says that. He said that to her in that hallway scene. He said, "I've always been there watching over you." And yeah. we, I had one line, but we took it out. And he said, Eva selfish, selfishly invested. And I think he's talking about, oh, selfishly invested for my my mother. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. See, see, things like that, you kind of put them back in there. But our editor was kind of like, no, we get it. You know? yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the whole thing when that happens is that, you know, you, re- you I, even in the open walking talk scene, and maybe you both would have liked this, Azrael tells Jennifer, she's complaining about a Christmas wedding. And then he says, well, he says, well, some people don't have the luxury to get married. You should be so lucky. Yeah. Oh. But we never put that in the film because, again, the walk and talk became redundant. But then I got a little bit upset after the edit. I'm like, no, but it's so important that's because important, yeah. that's that's why he's having this female wedding because yeah. the sapphic wedding, because now you're seeing that she's complaining about getting married, but people can't even get married and married today. Yep. So, but, That's the hardest part of being a director, right? Having yeah. to kill your baby like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, those yeah. things. And having That's to explain cool. to people, it's like, no, we need this. And like, you step away, you're too close to it. Yeah. Let's do our thing. Yeah. And then yeah. you had between, because I'm guessing, so you finished filming before kind of COVID really hit? Yeah. Yeah. We filmed, we filmed July 22nd to August 10th. So for three weeks in the middle of summer. So you're talking about, again, people also have their comments about, our production value but we're filming a winter film in new york city sure. in the middle of summer 95 degree weather but yeah. you know so no, you, you to, did a better job of it than many of the movies i've seen and i've seen yeah. a lot of them you know we had to we had to crop a lot of trees we mm-hmm. had to crop we had to crop a lot of people walking around in uh short sleeved shirts and everything like that while so a lot of things happened but yeah so we filmed then we're in post-production from literally one week after up until up until I think up until January, our producer took it to Sundance for people to see, but that didn't really pan out as well as we wanted because people at Sundance, even though they're there to see films, they're there to star fuck, so they're not really watching right. small independent films. Um, but then from there, we just knew, we knew to your point before we knew with our film that we were making, and Hallmark pulled that ad. I'm like, wow, we're ahead of the curve right here, and we're gonna be in, we're gonna be in a position for something because one, our film. Is, yeah, our film is not a million dollar film, but our film is something that was made with the right intention, mm-hmm. was executed in a way where we got it done rather than having a half a film. Yep. And in and in the end of going back to what I said before, we made a film that you have never seen before. You could say Very whatever true. you want about Christmas films and genres and this and that, but 
you've never seen a story like this before and for some people they just want to see something different and new sure yeah. and you know what you said about representation before as a as a gay man like yeah. growing up in the 80s 90s when you're younger and you're on the lgbtq spectrum you look for representation yeah. anywhere you can find it yeah. the slightest little hint of an yeah. idea of a nod that someone might be on that lgbtq spectrum <laughs> you identify with that character if it represents yeah. you or not so yeah. it's really great to it's see important. overt representation yeah. uh, in films now and that's yeah. why i mean a denny Dillon. yeah b <laughs> that that's the second reason that I had to jump on this film and review it with him. Oh, so thank you. I was yeah, really excited. That means a lot, and also also with Cooper Koch too. And you know, he's openly queer, and he was saying that openly gay. He was saying that it's he before we did this role. He was so happy when he got the casting for it because, and the description was flamboyant and spiritual. And it's for a lot of the time he'll openly say this to you too. No secret. He was saying that. A lot of people would feel as if he spoke a certain way, and they he would he, he would have seen as this type of uh, masculine type of high school character because they couldn't believe that he could fuck women and guys. You know what I mean? Like they they they, 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 were, they were seeing it only one way. But he definitely felt where I get to kind of just play something freeing and rather trying to be what I'm hoping people think this character is. Sure, He's like, right. I, I know I know this character. He felt because it was written that was something so different. It's like I know this character. Now to have people make some comments, and I address it because this is good for the conversation. They felt, oh, and then there's a gay angel, and he says girl all the time, and he's so, he's just so gay. And I'm thinking, aren't you gay? Are you yeah. queer people that are supposed to be supportive rather than saying that he's supposed to, he's too gay as an angel? What other gay angel are you comparing him to? Yeah. yeah. And well, it, I mean, literally. It's a double, again, it's like. I can think yeah. of is gay. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, oh, it's a, yeah, that same yeah. double edge issue of representation and saying like yeah. oh well because so many people wouldn't you know when they think gay they go there but but that that is one of the places that's there and the same and the fact that you have two lesbian characters who are very also different from each other yeah. and well, kind of, also, it's representative of the film, too, because the, the issue within the church that Chris Noth is, yeah. is wrestling with is, you know, the church is saying gay people are sinning, they're not yeah. going to get into heaven, therefore we cannot marry them. Right. This angel proves no, that's wrong. Right. God yeah. is letting all the kids in. <laughs> as <laughs> gay as we can be. Cool as shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, I would say, we went to an organization, and I was very glad to go to that organization, if you know what I mean. We went there, we said we wanted to um, cast a trans or non-binary person to play Azrael because at that point of time, because I'm trying to be the first with everything mm -hmm. and I thought it would be great to kind of have an angel yeah. that we don't know what their gender is that'll be mm -hmm. great yeah. and they read the script they liked it but then they said you know we advise you not to cast someone who's trans non-binary because it would do a disservice because you'll be saying that only trans or non-binary characters or only people only trans non-binary people could play mythical characters rather than real people right right so I'm happy that you know again that's the kind of detail I went into my research and my support for this because what Hollywood does to other people is like, oh, you want gay people or you want a, a trans person, put them in there. But then there's always someone that's going to say that's wrong. And I've experienced yeah. that with the film Stonewall where I know for a fact we want to do things the right way from day one rather than trying to say, let's worry about it later, fill a status quo. Right, uh -huh. right. Yeah, that really backfired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no Oscars <laughs> for that one. Yeah. 
but that yeah. makes me think of what was the actor's name? Jay Jay Davidson from the Crying, Crying Game. Game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, yeah. Beautiful the, yeah, yeah. Their only role after that was playing a mythical creature yeah. in yeah. some like sci-fi movie. Yeah. They didn't know what to do with this person. Which, which is, and, and maybe again, that could be the, of the time, but no, I think that's basically because people only saw Jay as that, yeah. and it's unfortunate because a beautiful, talented actor, Oscar nominated too, actor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and then after that, Hollywood did not know what to do. So, and that's the hard part. That's why people really want what the roles they play. Almost like I said before about Tyra Farrell, they only saw her as this middle class woman who needs to find money for her mm-hmm. family, rather than having she's a, she, she could play a rich person. She's she been in be Hollywood. One? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she could do that. And I think you know that's why these independent films are giving other actors opportunities, and that's why a lot of people kind of jump to them. And even Chris, Chris, no, you know, people love him as Mr. Big. Or as a cop, uh, right? As a cop, Law and Order. He's a fantastic theater person, but I know him personally, and I knew for a fact he's going to play in conflicted people, but you never think, and I say this, 2020, Chris Nope is a new hot priest, you know, he took a flea bag. (laughs) He's a new, Mm -hmm. new hot priest. You know, I hope Netflix will kind of get behind us. Yeah, no, we, thing, we were but... both very happy to see Chris Noth and say, ooh, yeah. he became a Silver Fox Catholic he priest. Sure yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that very, was great. Very, we appreciate yeah. that a lot. Yeah, and very, we, I mean, very, we yeah. really appreciate this movie. And Thank you. I, you know, again, we, we had we had fun talk, talking fun with it. But I, I am glad that you did hear within that the affection and the appreciation we had that it's here, mm-hmm. that it exists, that it's getting seen. Oh, um, and we're definitely excited to see more from you. So, you. where um, if people want to follow you or kind of continue to follow your career and what you do, where do they go to find yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. So we have our website, Willful Productions. Uh, W-I-L-L-F-U-L productions.com um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter Instagram, Twitter, O-A-B-I-T O-H-A-B-I-T O-A-B-I-T and Facebook, O-T-O-J Abbott O-T-O-J-A, last name Abbott A-B-I-T and um, Wolfo Productions is on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as well so we're out here, you know, I think now the social media craze and now, because we're independent film, but there are a lot of people that say we can't. We how can we have no idea about this film? All we see is Hulu's happiest season. Like yeah, because Hulu is as rightfully so. They're putting fifty thousand dollars per promotion to yeah. something. Yeah, and that's fine. That's great. But we don't have that, so we just have people like this podcast. Other people spread the word, and you know, we have myself also kind of being a big cheerleader because so it's my first do. film. You know, yeah. this first film as well as it does, or as much noise as it makes. I'll try my best it. to be your gay hipster yeah. guardian angel and do what I can for you. <laughs> you, and, you and Denny. You and Denny would be the perfect type of uh, support in the sense of like, Denny would make all the jokes and you'll laugh at her and she'll be very, because she's fueled by laughter. Okay, so we now we know what your next movie is. It's yep. a okay. buddy comedy with the two of go. them. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> True. Yep, oh yep. my God, good cop, bad cop. I'm yep. so excited. We'll talk after this. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we've got plans to do. Thank you again so much for being with us. Uh, Thank you for having me. And everybody should go go to Netflix, check out A New York Christmas Wedding if you haven't already, or watch it again and just keep it on because the more probably people watch it, the more it bumps up on Netflix. So Yeah, that's true. And, and also, if you can, if you do watch A New York Christmas Wedding you like it, watch Jitters on Amazon Prime because you're Excellent. seeing how a short film inspired the feature film so you might enjoy that as well i definitely will do oh, that's, that that's great yeah. yeah thank you for this time i've had such a good time talking same, to you. Hey, this same. Is great this is great i really appreciate it and thank you tim you know love tim as well yes yes yeah. my brother is is a connection here occasionally <laughs> he does some good stuff occasionally <laughs> yes 
<laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Merry Christmas, guys. Happy holidays. Cheers. Love you. Thank you so All much. of that Soon. stuff. And Happy New Year. Thank you so much. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols played Mild and sweet their songs repeat Of peace on earth, goodwill to men And the bells are ringing on earth I said For hate is strong and mocks the song Of peace on earth, goodwill to men But the bells are ringing
peace on earth. 